Welcome back to Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is your all-in-one nutritional insurance policy. It covers you for your daily allotment of vitamins, minerals, and micronutrients. And the way I take it is I take a big glass of water, a bunch of ice cubes, one scoop of Athletic Greens, stir it up, slam it down. It tastes delicious, and you can feel good about yourself in the process. Athletic Greens is now offering listeners of this podcast a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. So gracious of them. Athleticgreens.com slash WCML, one-year supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs. Go to athleticgreens.com slash WCML. Now let's get to the podcast with CBS producer Mark Gross. I would always say, I'd be like, if there's, if I'm hiring a writer's room and there's a wrestler versus a non-wrestler, I'm going to hire the wrestler hundred percent of the time. If it's a jump ball, hundred percent of the time, because I know he's going to work harder than anyone else without a doubt. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience, toughness some guys have it some guys don't adversity 100 percent. how to pick myself up and be a man after i failed and everything that has shaped my life and where i'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons i've learned through the sport of wrestling for me wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy we're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled Natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Yes, indeed. It's Friday, May 13th. You're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know we try to get you these episodes every Monday and Wednesday, but hey, sometimes life happens and we get you the second episode on Friday. So apologies, but let's get to the goods with Mark Gross, a producer for CBS. He wrote and produced Mike and Molly and most recently How We Roll. Before that, he was a stand-up comedian. He was on The Tonight Show. And if you go way back, he was a high school wrestler out in Nebraska. And in this interview, Mark talks about how wrestling has served as the foundation for his entire career throughout stand-up comedy and throughout Hollywood. So I hope you enjoy this one. Fan of the week goes to our friend Jason Madden. Most recently bought a bunch of merch from the store. We have an online store, Wrestling Changed My Life online store, store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. And Jason was so nice to go and purchase some items. So thank you very much, Jason. We appreciate it. And without further ado, let's give it up for the great Mark Gross. Mark Gross, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you very much. I uh, like to start off by saying I'm, I'm, I probably hold the honor and the distinction of being the worst wrestler that you'll ever have on this podcast. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but I... It's a great, it's, I really enjoy this show and it's, it's truly, man, it's an honor to be on this. And I've listened to so many episodes. It's so, it's very, uh, uh, you know, it, it strikes a chord with me, a deep chord. 
and uh, and I'm I'm truly it's, it's an honor, man, to to, to be on it. So. Well, thank you so much. I. If I had a nickel for every time someone told me they were the worst wrestler on this podcast. Oh, is that right? Oh, my God. Everyone comes on here. They're like, man, you've had Smith. You've had Gable. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, you know, and you, you know, you're a professional, uh, professional show writer, executive producer for CBS. So like, man, there's just such a cool angle you're bringing to this. And you you just had a show go live, how we roll. We're going to get into that. But let's start it. Let's start the Nebraska beginnings, though, man. Tell us about where you grew up and, and some of your wrestling backgrounds. Absolutely. I uh, well, first of all, the, the the title of your show is is so hit, hits home so hard with me because it, it wrestling literally it literally changed my life, and it uh, you know it changed the trajectory of who who I became and and uh, and how I view things and how I approach uh, every every situation, relation, personal relationships, business, my work ethic. Um, you know, every it it it, it all came. I, I really believe a, a huge portion of that majority of it, I think, came from from wrestling. I, I grew up in, uh, in Nebraska and my, uh, you know, we, my parents came from, you know, they were farmers and they were, you know, pretty, you know, we didn't have money growing up. And we, we actually lived in a, a trailer house in, uh, in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't even a town. My mother was a teacher at a one-room schoolhouse, uh, literally a one-room schoolhouse. I know that sounds old timey, but there were, uh, there were 12 students in the school and my brother and sister and I were three of them. And then there were like nine kids that were from just farms and the surrounding. And we lived on a dirt road. There wasn't any pavement. So we lived in this trailer house. And that's how I, I started life, my first five or six years. And then we moved to the city uh, when I was in, I was just finished kindergarten. So I was in, in first grade. My mom was like, we need to, to move to a, a, you know, a bigger city to, you know, to give us, you know, opportunities. Obviously there was, there was no one for miles around. And the year that I got there, uh, this flyer came out at school that said, uh, you know, it was like wrestling. It was for wrestling, and uh, and I immediately I was so excited. I immediately went, yes, this is what this is for me. This is what I always wanted. You know, something that I always wanted to do. It just it sang to me. It, it just for whatever reason it, it it was very important to me to do this. So I uh, that's how it was, it was literally a flyer from school, and uh, my brother and I went, and it was a, a place called Old Recreation, and uh, uh, it was like a you know we were we lived in a very incredibly modest house and and it was for sort of kids that didn't have a lot of money and you know it was, it was free and, and and you know this wrestling program and and whatever there were boxing there was you know uh, you know it's just one of those city rec center kind of things and uh the first day i got there it, it, i immediately uh was like this is this is this is going to change i just knew in my heart this is going to change who i am and that's that's where it all started and that was i was probably six years old and then i i continued wrestling uh, from that point on every every year until I, I was a senior in high school and uh, and yeah and made it all the way up to you know captain of my of my senior wrestling team but it was uh, it was a huge part of my life every year growing up and those those they're very formidable years and and uh, it, it it changed so much of, of uh, like I said of who I am and and how I see things so that was that was the origin yeah and so you I want to go back real quick though. So you grew up in like a super desolate place, like, like not like no one around for miles and miles. And you moved to Omaha then after that, or just a normal city? No, we, we moved to Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln. The, the, capital, okay. the capital of Nebraska. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was a, you know, uh, it was a thing where my mom, like we were, she knew, she just knew that, you know, you got three kids when they're, when you have no interaction, really social interaction, other than, you know, when you're in this one. And, and I think she, she probably, 
knew that academically, like we were moving ahead of everyone, but she wanted to give us our best possible uh, chance in life. And so I think that's that's part of the reason why we moved to and, uh, um, you know, and we were, you know, kind of hayseeds, I guess, you know, my brother and I showed up on our first day of school with, uh, you know, we had fuzz cuts that she gave us from clippers in our kitchen, literally sitting on the counter. And we had matching outfits. My brother and I had green, <laughs> his neon green shirts and these plaid pants. And we're both standing in line with these lunch bags. And, uh, this guy ahead of me starts making fun of me and, uh, you know, he's laughing at the two of us. And, uh, and I think he pushed me. And then I, and then we went, we went at it. We tangled immediately. So before I even set foot in the school on my first day, I, I got into a scrap with some guy out front, you know, and yeah. it, was, it was a bully, you know, it was a bully. And, uh, yeah. It's just so. crazy to me that there's spots, you know, cause you're not, you're a normal age guy, you know, but there's spots that desolate, even like 20, you know, 30, 30, 40 years ago. That's just fascinating to me. Yeah, people think it's they're like because it sounds like you know a little home on the prairie or whatever, <laughs> little house on the prairie kind of stuff. But honest to God, it was that's what it was. My mom was the nurse; she was the principal. She taught every you know kindergarten through whatever it was nine, I think. And that yeah, that existed. Uh, and this is you know nineteen you know seventy ish. You know, right. I'm right. Yeah, so I was uh, you know I'm fifty six. So I was five years old you know at the time. So yeah. So when you graduated high school, what were your aspirations for life? Like, did you know you wanted to be a stand-up comedian at that point? Well, it's funny. I, uh, backing it up just a, a, a tad, I, uh, I, when I started wrestling at, at old, I, like, that was my thing. And I, I, you know, I was very driven and I was, I, I, I that was my interest. I had an injury. I had a, a cyst that grew in my, I was undefeated this one year and I, and I was, I was, having a very, very good season. And my coach, Tony, looked at the back of my knee and he goes, this guy's got a weird lump in the back of his knee. You better have that looked at. And I was, uh, uh, you know, going to go to, uh, you know, I was in, in, on slated sort of to go to the uh, Junior Olympics, which was a huge deal at the time. And, um, and then they found out that I had this, uh, this mysterious growth in the back of it. They weren't sure what it was. So I ended up having to have surgery and and then like wrestling was so important to me, but after my surgery and I was in the hospital for probably a really long time, they didn't have, you know, things weren't as advanced back then. But while I was in the hospital, I, uh, I, I, it was sort of, I realized I was having, fun. I was joking around and making the nurses laugh and this kind of thing. And I, and that's when I sort of was like, I, as much as I love wrestling I, I really enjoy making people laugh and that that was a, a sort of a pivotal moment in my uh, in my life so yeah I, I knew early on and then I would stay up late at night and I would watch you know the tonight show and I go I remember one day my parents were in bed and I snuck out because I would watch Johnny Carson who was this guy who was hosting the show at the time who was very important to me too and and, and very you know in, instrumental in, in my aspirations and I was watching and they had this late there's a comic on and I was like relieved. I go, oh, that's what I'm going to do. Like, that's what I'm going to do with my life. I'm, I, I was relieved to go. There's a, you can do that. You can, you can go on TV at night and, and talk about life in a funny way and make people. And I was like, that's it, man. I go, you'd be nuts to want to do anything other than that. I couldn't understand how everybody in the world wasn't doing that. It made no <laughs> sense to me at all. I go, why would anyone do anything else? I didn't get it. So how old yeah, were you at the was, time? I was 10. It was uh, 10, 10, 11 years old. And 
and I ended up having to have surgery twice. And it, and I, you know, it, 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 but that time, that downtime, it's weird, like interacting, I'm laying in this bed, but I just really, I really enjoyed comedy. And I became obsessed with finding the, the shortest way to deliver something funny in the fewest amount of words, you know, and, uh, and, uh, or uh, you know, describing a, an emotion or a, or an event or something in a in very short few words. So that that became an an obsession to me. Um, but uh, you know, like I said, my everything I learned from uh, you know from especially from from sports was you know it gave me the work ethic to to because uh, it's it's a seed where you're, or excuse me, it's a, an industry where where you're unlikely to succeed. And um, and I I I think that the you know, a lot of the lessons my coaches taught me through the years, you know, gave me the the grit and the determination to, you know, you always have to believe you're going to win. You mm-hmm. always have to think I'm, I'm going to win this match. I'm going to win. And if you don't believe that you, you stand a zero chance, you, you, you're, it's over. So, uh, but yeah, but that, that became my, my, uh, my lifelong obsession. And uh, uh, I uh, continued to, I started doing stand up uh, on a fake ID uh, my brother's ID when I was 18. I wasn't old enough to get in the bar, but I wanted to, to enter this comedy competition, and and I did so, and uh, and I did okay. Yeah, I ended up finishing like second, I think, in it. And this local, you know, thing where those were professional comics. You know, mm-hmm. I was this kid that wasn't even old enough to to go in. It's funny. Years later, I ended up touring with Dave Chappelle, and he he has a similar story. Like he used to go in, we would talk, and, and we had the same sort of you know, thing where we were both underage sneaking into these clubs just because we wanted stage time so desperately, you know? Wow. So, you toured with Chappelle? Know. I did. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, you know, but it was before, uh, Chappelle show, you know, before he really blew up, look, he was, he's a phenom, you know, he, he's a, a one in a million. It's still to this day, probably personally, my favorite comic I've ever worked with. And, uh, and he was younger than me. It was weird. We were both, we, I think we met, did we meet at the Melrose Improv in LA or, or no, no, we were in Cleveland. We we're at the Cleveland Improv. And, uh, and I was the feature act. It's, there's like an opener, a feature and a headliner and Chappelle was the headliner. And he, he, he's just, he's makes it look effortless. You know, he, he's, he is a gift that very few of us have. And it's, it's, it's almost frustrating because you're like, I'm jumping time here, but skip to years later where he and I ended up becoming friends and, and we had the same agent. So we would go out together and we'd be driving to, to a show and something would happen along the way. Like we, he liked McDonald's. We would stop at McDonald's. One, you know, I remember this point. And that's a limo guy pulls over and we both go in there. And of course, everybody stops doing their job. This is before Chappelle. This is how popular he was. And people stopped doing their job. They just quit working and they came out. And everybody's talking to Chappelle and there's this big line of cars going, bah, bah. <laughs> people are pissed off but everybody wanted to come out to go holy crap dave Chappelle is here and then we would drive to the to the gig and then he would have you know f- three four five minutes on what happened on the drive to the gig that it would have taken me seven eight months to write you know to hone it down and perfect it into a bit and he he just like he writes third draft his first draft mm-hmm. of a joke is like everybody else's 15th or 16th draft so uh and he yeah, could just he, do it that day, like turn something like that into a bit within a couple hours. He could. And then he would hone that to where it's even more per- perfect. So, uh, but again, I would always go, you know, there were times like that where I go, I am not Chappelle. I will never be Chappelle. I don't think like he thinks on another level. 
you know, and I would be with a guy like that, or I'd be at the improv, you know, I'd be up for a Tonight Show myself, auditioning for Tonight Show. And uh, there's Mitch Hedberg. There's, Oof. you know, there's these comics that are that are, you know, who was also a great friend. And 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 I just remember one night it was Mitch. It was like, uh, oh God, who else was there? Uh, but anyway, so there was this array of guys who had all all were better than me. But I remember thinking about, I would always go, what advantage? Like I can't control that these guys are are, you know. Uh, you know, have more experience or they're, they're better known. And they're, you know, I, I don't have Dave's, I go, well, how can I, what edge can I have? And it's the same edge that I, that I had in wrestling, which was like, I know what I can control is I can outwork all these guys. Yeah. I can, I can outwork them and that, that will be my advantage. And that's what I did. And uh, I, I was, you know, I always tried to go extra. I was like the guy who ran extra I was the guy who wrote extra, you know, these guys are sitting around the bar having drinks, whatever. I would, you guys do that. You guys sit there and, and cr talk about how other people are, are getting comedy specials that you're not getting and how unfair it is. I'm going to go home and work on my act. And that's Got the it. same way that, uh, you know, coach Pierce, my high school coach was like, you know, you want to sit around and talk about why you lost or you want to get out there and work and figure it out. You know, so those types of things, I think, uh, you know, uh, carried with me to this day and and uh, I, I and I bring it up in every writing room that I'm in now I, I bring up that. that work that work ethic I'm like you guys you don't start you know working the minute you sit down at the table you you, you never stop working like and it was the same way you know before a tournament or something you think about it all day long you think about you if you, that's your preparation that's how you get an advantage you you come in thinking about the show you come in thinking about character what joke am I going to pitch if this doesn't work uh, you know, uh, what, what, you know, what, what's, if this story has a, a, a the second act doesn't hold up, what am I going to pitch to fix it? Cause it's very competitive. It's an insanely competitive industry. And if you're, you're either the, I was always like, you're either the, the funniest guy in the room or you're everybody else. And if you're everybody else, you're going to be unemployed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said, I think a lot of that comes from, from, uh, for me, it came from, from wrestling. Well, even like a simple concept, like, believing that the harder you work, you know, the more successful you're going to be. Some people have like a fixed mindset and don't even believe that. Right. So they don't even really truly believe that if you set out a goal and work for it, you can accomplish it. So like once you've wrestled and you see yourself getting better, you have the confidence to put yourself out there and to do other things. So how did you like come to the decision to leave Nebraska and move to LA to like put yourself out there in that scene? Um, that's a great question. I, I just knew I, like I was a, I had a paper route. I had, you know, uh, you know, I, I worked hard on, uh, you know, as a, as a child and, and a very good work ethic. But while I was there, I was constantly writing jokes. Like while I was delivering papers, walking around, I was thinking of material. I was thinking of jokes. I was thinking of, I would write, you know, short stories and things. As, 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 so it was a constant thing that I just always knew I was going to do that. So my parents, I think they, they I'm, I'm glad college was very important to me and I knew I wasn't good enough probably to wrestle in college and you know I was you know I just didn't have that skill set so when I was so when I did go to college at, at Nebraska I I would go to this uh, bar called Duffy's Tavern it's on O Street Lincoln so they had a comedy night that they that they started there literally when I was there that to this day they still have wow. and uh, and I would I would use it I would say this is part of my curriculum this is part of my you know, my school, like I have to write a 15 new minutes every week, which at the time I was an idiot. I didn't know you can't write 15 every minutes week? a week, every week. I'd be like, I'm going to do a new 15 minutes. And I would try and do that every week. Well, of course it sucked, but you might get one minute out of that. 
but I was like, I have to have new stuff because it's the same audience coming every week. So, you know, you, if you did told the same, you know, the thing about jokes is like entertainment. It's, it's a, it's a, ultimately it's a surprise. Mm-hmm. If, some, if you've heard a joke before, you're not going to laugh at it as hard as I can, because you've heard it before. So you know what's coming. So uh, that's what entertainment is. If you, if you know the killers in the closet, or you know, you know, it's it's less tense than if you don't, you know. So it's it's, it's sort of that same rule applies for all all things. But yeah, but I would do that every single week. I would write, 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 and you know, uh, I ultimately did my like I said, my lifelong goal was always to do the Tonight Show, and uh, uh, and I ended up doing that. And some of the I think two of the jokes that I originally wrote at Duffy's in Lincoln on those weeks when I would go every week, I ended up doing on the Tonight Show you know, wow. 20 years later or whatever, 15 years later. I saw so, the clip of you on there with Jay Leno. I love the, uh, I love the bit about the homeless people, but if, if they, uh, if you, if they're like really hard out on cash or something, they'll work really hard. I'm butchering it, but it was funny. And it was like, I was I thinking about that earlier as you were telling me that uh, about, you know, like watching it as a 10 year old, when you went on there, I think it was like 2001, that had to be a huge moment. It was huge. It was everything, uh, everything I had ever dreamed of. And, and it's sort of a silly goal. Now, looking back, I tell my daughter this, uh, like your goal shouldn't be, if your goal is specific, like I want to be on the Tonight Show, that's not a great goal. Like it's a good thing to say, I'm going to do that. But what, what you have to do in, in, in this industry is you have, to, you have to love the process and you have to, because a specific result, you can't control you know, they may go, ah, we don't want a guy who looks like, you know, the person booking the show might go, he looked like a guy that I went to high school with that was, you know, that I didn't like, and he slept <laughs> with my girlfriend or whatever. And then you can't control that. So your goal should be, I'm going to become the best comic that I can possibly be, you know, and I'm going to be the best in my, in my, uh, you know, industry or my, or whatever your thing is, you know, like I said, in, 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 uh, you know, in wrestling, I was always like, I'm going to be the best wrestler I can. And I, I, you have to believe that that you are that you're going to succeed, but your goal should be you have to love what you're doing. You have to love the process because there's no guarantees. There's no, um, you know, if your goal is fame, you're going to end up unhappy because that's a that's not a good goal. Your goal should be I'm going to be you know I'm going to to write the best jokes. I'm going to write and tell stories that move people and inspire them and make them laugh and make them forget you know forget their problems for a while or whatever like that that should be your goal not something specific that, that's my feeling it's not something specific uh you know looking back but right yeah. but it was it was a very special moment um um my grandfather uh who was a, a farmer in Beatrice Nebraska was was alive at the time and he, he had lost his you know my grandmother had died years ago this is this isn't a funny story but he I used to send him postcards all the time on the road like that, our bit, we always had the same sort of dry sense of humor. And, and I would send him like a post, like I would say I'm in Cleveland, for example. And then I would have, a, there would be a picture of the bridge in Cleveland, you know, and then I would draw like a stick guy jumping off the bridge. And then I would say, there's me after second show Saturday night or whatever. Like we had a very gallow sense of humor. And uh, and he, years later, I found out, you know, after he had, you know, passed away, my uh, aunt gave me this envelope and said, he saved every one of your postcards and he would show them to people when they would come over for lunch. Like the, the neighbors wow. would come in. He would always show them and go, look at my grandson. He's in Miami. He's in, you know, Rochester, New York. He's in Boise, Idaho, whatever. And he would show them these, but he, he, uh, he was a, 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 a fan and uh, of mine and we, we had a, a very close relationship and he, uh, he bought a new television set. Uh, like I told him, I go, grandpa, if I'm finally doing the tonight show, and he was so happy and he bought a brand new TV set just wow. to watch it on. And uh, it was a flat screen because he had one of those old, you know, ones that weigh like 900 pounds. 
and uh, and he bought it. But then, as you know, the sad part of the story is that he he died like uh, you know right before I, I actually got to be on the show. But I had a picture of him in my and when you you know that, that literally is in my my you know my jacket. I wear a suit on stage always. He always told me to dress so he dress up for the show. Always dress up for the people. So I would always. You know, I would always wear a tie and stuff. I took a lot of crap for that too, by the way. You're doing some horrible gigs and people are like, who's this guy with a shirt and tie? But anyways, but I had his picture. So the last thing I did before I went out there, they they wipe your mouth off, you know, with a towel and they give you water and you're standing there and and the music, you hear the band playing and they were playing uh, Sympathy for the Devil, I remember. And and I'll never forget that moment. And you hear him and then Jay's going, hey, bring it in, yeah, next guy. And he's, he's doing that. You know, I, I, last thing I did was I looked at this picture of my grandpa and then I went out and it was very much like uh, what I anticipate death to be like. You're going, well, this is it. I'm about to hurl my soul into the great unknown because you don't know. You, you prepared as much as you can, but you you don't know. It's you don't know how it's going to go. And uh, it ended up, you know, going going OK for me. It ended up going pretty well for me. And they booked me back on the show again and whatever. But it's. You know, it was a, 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 a huge frightening moment, but it, the, the thing, I think one of the things that parallels wrestling is when you're a comic, it's you alone on this stage and it's you and that is it. It's you, and it, but instead of, you know, wrestling a guy, it's you and your teammate is this audience and, and you have to read them. You have to anticipate what's their move, what's their tone, what's the, you know, and it, I, I really feel like there's a, so many similarities between the two things, but, um, yeah, and the fear of that, you, you overcome that fear. You know, when you're looking a dude in the eye and you're in high school and you're both standing there naked about to weigh in on the scale, then you know you're going to go out and and and, uh, and the guy's, you know, you, you know, he, you know, he has a better record than you and he, mm-hmm. you sense that he's going to win. That fear, overcoming that fear and believing, no, 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 I'm not going to lose. No, 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 no. This audience, you know, they, they chewed up this guy before me. They ate him for dinner. I was in San Diego one night. The audience literally—they called the sheriff department because they, they thought a riot was going to break out. There was like four hundred people, and they're all going, "Ah!" And this guy's doing like, uh, you know, they're like, "Boo!" Get like it was really this—you feel that, like you sense the audience. You're going, "This guy's going to turn," and they're going to start throwing like this can. So he this is going to get out of hand. So he this club owner called the state patrol, and all the people showed up, and I and he looked at me and he's like, "Can you?" And I go, "Just hold on." And I calmly went out and they didn't know who I was. I was the guy who had done the time, but who cares? And you're not a name. I was, you're not a household name, but I went out the microphone and I just coolly, I slowed it down and I, I, I read them and I earned their, you know, I earned their trust. And I, I, and I ended up having, and the club owner ended up hugging me and kissing me at, at the end of it. He was so happy that people, but it's that same training of like, going, I'm not afraid. Like if you lose your confidence, you got nothing. Then right. you're done. You are done. That's when everybody wins. When you when you lose your confidence, it, it's everything. You know. It's crazy you say that because the the emotions you felt before you went out there. And I was kind of thinking about it as I'm watching you. It's like that's not really a normal set. You know, you would do a you know a normal set by this point in your career. You're probably doing 20, 30 minutes, maybe maybe a full hour. You're going out there doing five minutes, and it's kind of like such a it, probably a weird setting compared to what you're used to. I mean. Is it like recorded at night? Is it the middle of the day? Like, how does it work when you're on a show like that? And what, what's that process? Well, it's, it's funny. My thing was always, I, uh, I ended up going, I ended up going, I'm all in. So I literally, I lived on the road. Like there were two years where I never went home. I just was in a different city every week. I know. I just said, there's no finish line. You know, there's no, wow. like, when am I going to get home? Six more weeks till I get home. 
four more weeks till I get home. And then I started going, why are you thinking like that? Quit thinking how many more weeks till I have a break and just think, this is it. This is my life. This is what it is. I go, you serious about this or not? Do you want to do the Tonight Show? Okay, then this is your life and this is what it has to be. So like, you know, when I was listening to the, the Smith episodes, I, I was so moved by that because I was like, oh my God, that's the same mentality that I had to have. I had to go, you, 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 you have to be better than everyone. You, you have to be willing to give more and you, you got to go all in. It's just, there's too much at stake and it's too competitive. So you have to. So I just said, I'm not going home anymore. And I just literally worked every week. And at the end of that, that two years, uh, uh, I, I ended up doing the Tonight Show. But what I would do in answer to the question, yeah, you do a 45 minute set. So you do, you're doing your best bits, you know, uh, in a four and a half minute set for the Tonight Show. And I started going, okay, I'm doing this bit here and I'm going to close with this as my strongest bit. And I go, we'll start off with your Tonight Show set. Follow your best material. So mm. I started doing my Tonight Show as my opening five for two reasons. One, it prepares you. So on tape night, when it happens, it's solid and it's tight and it's seamless, but it also forces you to make the rest of your material stronger because you're following your closing bit. You know, you're following right. your best material. Like it's like having someone open for you that's unfollowable, except for it's you. Then you and have 35 the way, minutes to go. Then you have wow. 35 minutes to go. And the waitresses normally put checks down at like with 10, 15 minutes left. So you got to be really strong because people are distracted. They're going, ah, who ordered the daiquiri? A lot of people are arguing and, and that's when people are buzzing and talking and you, you got to still hold their attention and then bring it home and go, wow, that ticket price was worth my money. Mm -hmm. So it forced me to make the rest of my act stronger. And, uh, and, 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 but that's what I did. And, and that it always worked out for me. So when you're on the road, are you literally not going home at all? Like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're doing shows is like, like what's the day in the life like during the week? Yeah. Well, back in the day, and it's not so much like this anymore, but you know, this is like nineties, uh, you know, two thousands, uh, back then clubs would go, you know, traditionally I worked for a lot of, uh, a comedy chain called the funny bone and the improv. And, uh, you know, it was usually like an average would be like a Tuesday through Sunday. Mm. So you do one show Tuesday, one show Wednesday, one show Thursday, two shows Friday, either two or three shows on Saturday. There's a midnight show. And then uh, one show Sunday. And then Monday was your travel day. So. Uh, wow. Yeah. So that's the way it was back then. And, and comedy was booming. And it was like vaudeville, man. It was almost like. I was so lucky. I was born at the exact right time that this could even exist and happen. Like I couldn't have dreamt of a better life. And so that's, uh, you know, that was sort of the life. And instead of flying home on Monday or whatever, I would just be like, just work every, or taking a week off. I would just be like, just work every week, man. Let's, let's do this. Let's take this seriously. And so uh, that's when I, I made that shift. And not to say I didn't work hard before that, but that, that's when things really turned around for me. And uh, I got the Montreal Comedy Festival, which was a huge, you know, uh, thing at the time. It, it still is a pretty big deal, but, you know, everybody in the country wants to do the Montreal Comedy Festival. And, and, uh, and again, I attribute this to wrestling too. I, I auditioned for Montreal and I worked so hard, right? I can't even tell you the hours I had put in, it's honing this set and making it seamless. And I would, I would literally, at night when I was laying in bed in my hotel room, I would do my set backwards. I would do the closing bit in order. Then I would flip it. I would do it the other way in my head. Just, I, I worked, I was relentless. And then I auditioned. I go, that's as good as I could do. And I, I'm a, a very honest guy. I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm critical to a, to a point of myself. I'm telling you, I had a good set. Like it was a really good set. And I never say that. You ask any, anybody that's working with me, like, wow, he never says that. But I, I had, a, it was a solid set and I didn't get it. 
I didn't get Montreal. So I met these other comics and they're all going, ah, and they're grumbling about, ah, you know, it, how it's rigged and it's this and it's that and blah, blah, blah. And again, I was like, you guys do that. You guys complain and say why you didn't get it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work so hard this next year because you have to wait a year to audition again. I go, I'm going to work so hard this year. I'm going to double my workload. I'm going to work so that next year, even if they hate me, even if I'm their least favorite person, I'm going to have such a, I'm going to have such a funny set that they, they have to put me in. And, and I, and I kept that attitude and I, I didn't give up. I, it was heartbreaking. I was crestfallen. I'm not going to lie to you. It was, and it was easy to, to be depressed and defeated, but I chose to go, okay, that means I got to work harder. And that's what I did. And then I got it the next year. And that, that comedy festival changed my life. That that's what, you know, led me to the, Tonight Show and, and various other things. Where were you when you heard the news you didn't get in the first year? Were you like right there uh, at the play still or? No, they they wait, you know, uh, you know, they're like, hey, we're still looking at other people. I was on the road somewhere and I was with a guy who I had auditioned with and he, I'm not gonna say who is, but he's a fairly notable guy and he was grumbling and, and complaining and bellyaching and I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be you. And yeah, comics, we all call each other. Did you get it? No, of course not. And, you know, you can't get it anymore. It's like, it's, unless you have an agent or blah, and it's like, and that was all crap. It's, it's not, that's not true. None of that is true. For everybody who has succeeded, and it, it, there is always a point where they could have said, this is impossible, I can't do it. And the ones, obviously, you have a 0% chance the minute you, you say that. And the only ones who make it are the ones who, who continue on. And not all of them make it either. And that's the true heartbreaking nature of our industry. Just because you want it doesn't mean it's going to happen. But yeah. you, you have to. Ha that's why I'm saying the journey has to be your passion, not, not the result. You know, I love it. I love all these like just these stories of like pushing up the mountain, because I don't think people realize just how hard it is to you know, achieve that level of success in any field. And, you know, the one thing wrestling teaches us that even if you put in all the work or you think you have, you're probably not going home as the state champ that year. And, and then you get out in the real world and you're like 25, 26, and you realize that you weren't even working that hard or that you had like these men, like had these mental things in your head holding you back. And then now that you're finally in your career, 25, 26, you can apply these lessons. There's only like, you know, a select few of them who apply it in high school. And those are the kids we all looked up to, but once you get out there in the real world and you're applying them, like you said, it's amazing how far it can go. I mean, did you ever bump into any other wrestlers while you were out there on the road in those years? Oh yeah. I, uh, you know, Greg Warren is very tight, very he's close friend of mine. Yeah. He's hilarious. And we met in, uh, Oh God, where were we? We may have been in Missouri somewhere and he was still working for Procter and Gamble. And he started talking about wrestling in his act. And I go, Hey man, I go, I was a wrestler. I go, I wrestled for like, you know, whatever, 12 years and, and, you know, it, it, it's a huge part of my life. So we start talking, we immediately became friends. We've been friends ever since. And of course he, you know, he was actually, he was uh, clearly a, a very gifted and talented wrestler, but yeah, him and, and oddly enough, this, okay, here's a good wrestling story for showbiz wrestling. I was uh, writing on a show. Uh, the director was a guy named James Burroughs, who's, who's a pretty notable guy. He did the uh, you know, he's one of the uh, co-creator, you know, he created Cheers and, mm -hmm. and, and he's directed everything. Big Bang Theory, uh, Friends, uh, you know, Two and a Half Men, uh, you know, uh, Mary wow. Tyler Moore, all the way back to that. He did. Uh, he's on uh, all those shows? All those shows. Mike and Molly, a show that I, I was on from beginning to end. Um, uh, oh, God. Frasier. I mean, 
it just goes on and on the list. Of, he's the most successful director of my lifetime of, of, of my, of, of my generation and whatever. So he was directing this show and I knew that this was an opportunity to, to, you know, to, to uh, uh, this guy I've revered, you know, and, and for so many years. So again, I was the last guy, like I would be in the writer's room. I would say all the cars would leave and I would stay. And I would be like, if Burroughs is standing there, because here's what happens in multicam and I'll, I'll, I'm getting to your question, you're wrestling yeah. this in a second, but you're on set. Okay. So there's a live studio audience and they're all down up on, there's a guy up there warming up the crowd and you're on set. You got James Burroughs, who's a legendary hall of fame. I don't even, it's like Michael Jordan of, of comedy directors. Okay. Like there's no, like just the, you know, LeBron, whatever you want to say, whoever you want to say, it's the best. <laughs> and uh, he's obviously the, the, the greatest and he's standing there. And I was like, if the, you know, the, the audience is, you know, carrying on there, every moment that ticks is, is money. And so we do a joke, you're doing a scene and the joke doesn't land. And all of a sudden, okay, stop. Okay, the joke didn't work. And then you stop and okay, well, that was an alt, meaning that was a joke that we had, had written because the first one didn't work. So now you're pitching on the floor. So they stop, the crowd's looking at you, Burroughs is looking at you, the actors are looking at you, Chuck Laurier, where the executive producer turns his head and looks at you. And he's staring at you going, what do you got? And that moment, that's your moment. And everyone's waiting and you got to be able to, to take everything out. You got to be able to go, forget about the audience. Forget about Melissa McCarthy. Forget about Chuck Lorre. Forget about Burroughs. Forget all that stuff. And just for one minute, look at this page and think, how are you going to win? How you, what's the joke? What's the line? And I think the fear and the, the you know, of, of again, that you overcome. And, and I think res, I attribute wrestling to all of that was helped me get an edge and, and also obviously being a comic, you know, and I would stop and be like, okay, a lot of times you're on stage and your joke doesn't work and the audience is heckling you, whatever, you gotta be ready to, what, what do you got? What are you gonna say, you know? And so that's the, you know, the, the pressure of, that's why writers are paid a lot of money in multicam because it's like, you gotta, you know, this has to, you gotta deliver when the time is is right. And anyway, how, so this show- How much of the doing, line, how much of the lines set on TV are written as they're written versus made up like as the, as the process goes, do you think? Like- five percent we have to we have to fix normally if it's a good show five maybe six percent of you know and it's usually just a joke like by the by the time you're taping the story either you've discovered the story works or it doesn't work because you've done several rehearsals and a table read but sometimes jokes they work at rehearsal and then you get in front of the audience and the audience keeps you honest and like nah i'm not having that and you're like "Uh oh that's flat that didn't work even though you've tried it and it's no 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 this is it you you that's the beauty of this thing it you it's unpredictable. You never know. Um, mm -hmm. But I was on the show. The point of saying all this on the show with Burroughs, and there was Jay Moore was the star of the show, uh, the actor Jay Moore. And Jay was, it turns out, was a really good wrestler. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you knew that. I have yeah. heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we were rehearsing. The show was called Gary Unmarried. And I still say it was one of the funniest shows I've ever been on. Like, nobody's heard of that show. No one's heard of the show. But if you, if you watch the, we had a really strong joke run. We had some of the funniest guys I've ever, I've ever worked with. We, we had a blast on that show. It was really fun and Burroughs directed, but um, it was, a, I was pitching to do a wrestling episode, you know, because of whatever. And I go, you know, so Jay's kid is wrestling. And then, uh, you know, who uh, the, uh, oh my God, Kirkner was the, uh, was playing from, uh, uh, 
oh no, I hope I'm not saying his name wrong. Uh, I'm not picking the wrong guy. But it was anyway. It doesn't matter. But again, from forty year old version, from Anchorman. Okay. Not forty year old version from Anchorman. Anyways, uh, he's uh, anyway. So he was on it. He was playing the wrestling coach for the other, you know, and and Jay Moore's kid was wrestling. So at a rehearsal one day, uh, you know, we get done and there's the mats all laid out on the set on the stage. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, and and so out of habit, you know, I just like I had to feel good to man, I would like to get on that mat just to feel it again. You know, it's been so many years. So I got out there and I just was, you know, got down in referee's position in the thing. And all of a sudden I feel this hand go wrap under my stomach. And then there's this other hand on my elbow and I look up and it's Jay. <laughs> and I'm like, are we going? And he's like, let's go. So we go. We start, you, know, and he, he, you know, the guy outweighs me by, I don't know, 30 pounds. Whatever. But we wrestle, we start wrestling and everybody's going, oh my God. And they're like gathering in burrows. Everybody's in there watching us. It's just a rehearsal day. And we keep going, then people are sick of watching it and they start leaving, like it went on and on. It was just, we just kept going and going. So people start to leave and he and I just kept going. And I don't, I couldn't tell you how long we wrestled, but I'll tell you this, that the next day he showed up in my office and uh, I, I still have the t-shirt upstairs, but um, he uh, he gave me a, 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 a autographed Iowa State uh, t-shirt and he goes, I want you to have this. And he goes, because uh, he goes, you're small. He goes, but you have like ape-like strength, you know? <laughs> and I go, it's not that, Jay. I go, I, I just, you know, I, I, I'm not the, the super strong guy. I go, but I, uh, you know, I, I, I knew how to, you know, I knew, I knew how to not to quit. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to let you have this. Everybody's watched. But we, yeah, we went at it for several minutes. And people still talk about that, you know, whenever I run into Burroughs, it's just like, ah, gross for wrestling more on the thing. But but it was a fun episode and it was great and and that it bonded us you know a yeah. little bit and you know and I would always say I'd be like if there's if I'm hiring a writer's room and there's a wrestler versus a non wrestler I'm gonna hire the wrestler 100 percent of the time if it's a jump ball 100 percent of the time because I know he's gonna work harder than anyone else without yeah. a doubt I've never 100%. met a wrestler who was outworked by anyone else in my entire life never I've never experienced that so that is amazing I in that. It's crazy how, if you haven't wrestled in a while, how tired you get just after like 30, oh. 30 seconds, 60 seconds. And like the next day you're bruised up on your neck. You're like, man, I'm soft now. Yeah. So tell me about the, so you went from being a stand-up comedian. You had a family, you transitioned to being a writer. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about like the process for like the script you just wrote for like how we roll. How do you, how do you start it? And how long does it take for you to go from first draft to getting it in front of someone's eyes that can make a decision on it? Well, uh, that's a great question. I, I, I was on what's called a, a, a my deal was a little different. I was on what's called an overall deal at CBS. I, I was on a show called Mike and Molly with, with Melissa and, and Billy Gardell, who is also a wrestler, by the way, uh, a great wrestler, Billy Gardell. He was, he was a very good. Really? Wrestler. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, yeah, he's, he was really good. So anyways, um, but I was on that for six seasons. And at the end, CBS said, Chuck was like, Hey, do you want to, you know, uh, I'm developing this show and I, and I love Chuck and I admire him and I I'm on the map because of that guy Burroughs. Like I, he was a mentor to me, but I just felt the need to I go, I got to go off and see what I can do kind of on my own. So I took this thing. It's called an overall deal with CBS where you're, you're developing new shows rather than, you know, on your own. So I, I took that deal and went with them. So I would be writing on a show while I was also developing a show. So what you do is you, you come up with a, you know, your premise, whatever it is. And, and you start, I was, for me, it's always about character. Um, you always start with character and, and, and uh, the characters have to be organic and they have to be, to be real. I mean, you and I talk about this. It's like, it's storytelling. It, it, it has to be driven by emotion, not event, 
meaning uh, this like the story has to be if like hey it's it's uh, Ryan's birthday we're having a party for him that's not a story that's an event how does Ryan feel about his birthday how does Ryan you know like that's the story who's involved you know so I, that was always my approach was 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 write it like a soap opera you know break the story like it's a soap opera then write it funny and if your characters are well developed and they're not really telling jokes they're giving their opinions you know um they're saying how they feel about whatever the story is that week the situation if you're you know if you're watching a great if you're watching uh fraser let's say for example which was a show that i thought was great you know exactly what you know, Frazier versus his father's take was going to be on, on, on what the matter was. So you're almost laughing. Once you see the situation unfold, you're laughing because you know what, what, how that person feels about it. And then if you're a good writer, you find a way for them to say that in a way that is organic to their character, but is also surprising and funny to the audience. It can't be what the audience is thinking or they're not going to laugh. So that was always my approach. And I, 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 then you pitch it. So you start off with that. You come up with a good story. You you pitch it to to the the uh, to the studio. So I would go to like CBS Studios and and have um, you written a full script yet, or just like an overall idea? Well, th- at the very beginning, like I have a path. Like I go, I think I know what this pilot story is going to be. I have a, I have a, an idea what the pilot story is going to be. But you go in and you say, okay, this is a show about you know what whatever your show is about, and you start off with characters and uh, and and you know I would pitch to you know, Alec Botnick and, and Kate Adler and, and you know, the, the people at CBS, and then they would say, okay, yeah, yeah, we like this idea. Let's, so that's step one. We like it. Let's do this. We're going to buy this. Let's take it to the network. Then you go to the network and you pitch the network. And then the network says yes or no. And that's the next hardest hurdle to get over because they're the ones that are investing, they're investing money in it as well. So they're like, okay, we'll buy it. And if you sell it in the room, that's a huge thing. I've been very lucky. I've sold the past, since I started developing, five, it's, it's, I guess over the last six years, I have managed to sell. I, I've, I've sold every show that I pitched. Luckily, and it helps that I'm on a deal at CBS. Granted, but um, so you're getting you know, paid the I, whole time, not just when the deals shows are picked up. Correct. That's me. That's my. That was my deal. Got um, it. So then the network, uh, you know, buys, but they still have to spend the money. You know, so they 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 buy the show. Then you go off and you you write an outline. And then you go through all the channels, you know, of, of, of the studio and the producers and whoever that's involved. And then, then the network gives their notes. Then you write the pilot. Then you turn in the pilot. And then that's usually around the end of December. And then you wait and see what they pick up and if they're going to shoot it. And that's when they're, you know, they're dropping, you know, $3 million to three, four million bucks to shoot your show. That's a huge hurdle. Then you shoot, then you have to cast it. Then you cast it and you hope that it, uh, they put it on the air. And that's the last step. And then you hope that it does well, then you hope it gets a second season. And so it's a, it's, but you're competing against thousands of, of scripts, you know, and thousands of other pitches. So it's, it's obviously very competitive, you know? Um, well, how often is it too, where you, you love your idea, but then by the time it goes through all these channels, your idea has been altered and it is like that hard to accept, or that's that just inevitable part of writing? That happens in my finding 100% of the time, you know, <laughs> it's altered, but, uh, but my thing is, uh, team. Again, you know, you're, you know, a, a, you know, a wrestling tournament isn't won by one weight class; it's won by a team. Mm-hmm. So I always think that magic comes when everybody's is together. And and when you're the showrunner, you have to certainly weed out the stuff that's not good and helpful. But you also have to include everybody, and that's what makes it stronger. You know, I, I, you know, I often think of the. Uh, 
you know, the U S basketball team that year that, that we lost in the Olympics. And I was like, what, what, but I always felt like it was, and with no disrespect at all, but it felt like more individual performances rather than, uh, uh, you know, a team effort. And I always remember watching that game going, those guys shouldn't have lost that game, man. And so I'm always like, that's always my philosophy is like, you're stronger when you work together, when everyone's, everyone's contributing. But again, it's my job to make sure that the wrong contributions aren't being made. So, you know, you, you, you live with it and you, and there's standards and practices, you know, there's all sorts of, of, uh, you know, that they base S and P, they basically go, uh, Hey, you can't say this word because it's too, it's, you know, didn't pass our, you know, our, uh, it's offensive or whatever. And so you have to find a different way to say, but there's all these different input that you get from all these different people and, and studio network, everybody that, that sort of helps shape it. And hopefully it's for the better. And, yeah. uh, and more times than not, it is for the better, I will say, but sometimes it's not. And then you, then you just have to live with it, you know? Yeah. It's part, I just can imagine it's gotta be part of it. To, and, uh, we're going to wind down here, but just a couple more questions. Tell me about like, once you get the green light and you have to write the pilot, um, tell me about your writing process. Do you write at the same time every day? And like, how long do you go for? I, uh, it, it's one of those things where like, unfortunately it's not like training where, you know, I'm going to train for how, you know, and, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, you know, this amount of, I'm going to run the stairs this many times. I'm going to, you know, you know I'm going to do this many drills because it's, it's, it's sort of comes when it comes, unfortunately, but the more time you spend doing it, the better results you're going to have, just like anything else. So I start in the morning and I, I lock myself away and I, I try and get myself in a weird place, like in a weird mindset where I'm like, not I'm focused, but I'm not trying too hard. Um, you know, I had an expression, uh, it's, it's, I have two things before I write a pilot, I hang a little sign that says simplify, simplify, simplify. It's really a, a matter of breaking something down and making it simple. Like, uh, you know, telling it the story simply and, and hitting the emotion, you know, again, the emotional aspects of it, not, it's not a situation. It's a comedy. Not, it's a, yes, it's a sitcom, but it's more about, you know, it's not about the situation. It's about the comedy and the, and the characters. And why do I care about them? What's driving them? So I will, I will start in the morning and I will, I will keep, you know, that, that simplify, simplify philosophy um, you know, all as, until I'm basically exhausted, but leaving myself enough to know that I'm not going to be fried for the next day. And so that's, that, that's sort of my, my procedure. And it, uh, you know, it, it, it works, it, it works for me. Um, some people like being in a public place. I don't, I like being isolated. And, um, and, and that's when you, that's when you come up, I think with the, you know, with weird stuff that other people aren't thinking of, you have to, you have to think differently than everyone else. Otherwise you're going to produce the same thing. Right. No, it's interesting just to hear everyone's got something that works, you know, unique for them. And then tell me about like, once you actually get the show picked up and you're filming, like when you're on a film set, is it just 12 hours of craziness or what, what's that like? Well, I, I put on, I do pretty much just multicam. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we, it's like a play, basically I've written a play like Norman Lear, you know, um, you know, wrote these amazing plays when I was a kid and I go, Oh my God, this is, this is gripping. This is about America. This is about me. This is about, you know, it's about, you know, controversial matters. And he was very inspiring to me. So basically that's what you're doing. You're writing a play and then you're pointing four cameras at it, you know, uh, yeah. and you're, and you, and, and, and we'll tape it and, you know, uh, we'll pre-shoot the day before. So we'll do two or three scenes sometimes just to, to have them. And then we'll do playback. So when you hear a lot of people think, oh, it's a laugh track. Well, it's not. It's an audience literally watching 
the show and laughing at the stuff you pre-recorded and then watching it live and laughing at the stuff that's being performed in front of them. So uh, uh, that it's in the usual start around, you know, 6 p.m. And, you know, if, on a, if you have a great director and, and your script is solid and your cast is good, you're out of there by 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And if you're having a rough go of it, you always hear when there's a pilot that's like, I oh, had yeah, they were there till three or four in the morning. You're always like, whoa. So that's, you know, not a great sign, but. Um, so you get through you know. one whole episode from six to midnight though. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then you cut it and then you have, you know, cause you have the, the reverse, you know, you have the, the angle of every camera. So you're literally just cutting together and, and, and that's an art in itself. Cause you're, you're literally building performances, but you know, if you, you and I are having a conversation right now. Right. And so we're, let's say we're doing a scene right now. Like there's a camera over my shoulder showing your reaction to what I'm saying. And there's a camera over your shoulder saying, showing me telling you. So then when you go to editing as, as opposed to single cam, like a movie, like the office is single cam, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, lost a single cam, you know, friends is a multi-cam, you know, mm -hmm. honestly, those are two, two very, you know, whatever different, different examples, but um, the, the friends episodes are shot very shortly, but when they're edited, you don't have to like in a single cam, they don't have to stop like, okay, hold on. Just swim the camera around, get the other reverse thing or whatever. Like it's it's done immediately, and and that was something that started, um, uh, you know, back in the, uh, you know, way back in the day, back in the fifties, sixties. I think the multicam came to to existence. So yeah, it's a it's a different way of, uh, you know, it's just a different format completely. But it has the magic of theater. It's sort of a hybrid between live theater and a movie and a movie kind of thing. If that makes sense, it's sort of a hybrid between the two because you are performing in front of a live audience. But, you know, you're also, you know, taping it and it's a yeah, it's an art for sure. It's, a, it's interesting. I grew up watching Seinfeld and grew up on Friends mm -hmm. and I, uh, you know, I never actually knew that they were real people there until I started researching for this interview, actually. Like, it sounds crazy to crazy to say that out loud. And you're probably shocked to hear that. But I did not know that. So, like, there's people there watching it go down and I like, kind of get the behind the scenes of how it's all. That's that's in, that's crazy. For sure. In fact, the show that I'm that I created that I'm on now is actually filmed at on the Seinfeld stage where they filmed all the Seinfelds on the Radford lot. So wow. Pete Holmes actually has Jerry Seinfeld's dressing room. Um, you know, so we're, it's a, it's a really great, uh, I was, it's a huge honor to be on that stage and uh, yeah, it is the same audience, you know, same audience seating and all that stuff. It's all, all right there on the, on the Radford lot in studio city. So wow. it's a tr truly an honor to be on that stage, you know? Crazy. Well, it's it's been such an honor to have you on here and to, and to pick your brain about some of this stuff. The last thing I wanted to sign off with is we've talked a lot about how wrestling's you know impacted and changed your life. Uh, the show that you created, How We Roll, is is out, and I just want to hear your thoughts. And like now that you've had it and it's out, like what's it like to have a show created and now it's it's out there forever? Um, um, thanks. It's you know it's a this show came to me as. And again, a guy who always loved sports, it, it was Brian Darcy James, who's a, 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 no, a very notable actor. He was the original um, King George in Hamilton. He was in Spotlight. Also, he's a Broadway legend kind of guy. He's from Saginaw, Michigan. And he, he sent me this article about this guy. He sent it to CBS. And then they said, hey, Gross is from the Midwest. He's sort of a blue collar guy. I think he might be right for this project. And I, I was working on something else at the time, but I, I read this, this little note that he had written and it goes, uh, you know, there's this guy named Tom Smallwood. He's from Saginaw, Michigan. He worked at the, the you know, the auto plant. He worked at the factory and at the GM plant. And he was putting uh, seatbelt brackets on, on Shelby Silverados, which isn't as much fun as it sounds like. 
uh, for 16 bucks an hour or whatever. And he got laid off three days before Christmas. And so he goes home to his wife and he was a really good bowler. And he said, I'm going to bowl. This is my dream. This is what I always wanted to do. Maybe now's the time to give it a chance. And, and that was so touching to me. The, the guy went on. The true story is, and I remember when it happened in 2009, I, it was very, it just stirred me. Like this guy ended up going to the mom and pop bowling alley in Saginaw, bowled continually all day, you know, 12 hours a day, just bold, bold, bold. He goes on to not only get his PBA card and, and, and bowl and all that, he ends up winning the entire PBA championship at the end of that year because wow. he knew he had to win. And it's, again, to me, it's that wrestling mentality. So I was so drawn to this that I, 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 I was like, something inside me said, you, you know, you, you should write this show. So I wrote a, a, you know, the pilot script for it. And, and I, I based it more, not so much on the actual Tom Smallwood. I based it more on my wife going, me saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to Los Angeles. And I'm going to be a comic. <laughs> you know, you want to go. And for whatever reason, normally a woman of, of, of great judgment and great taste said, yeah, I'll go with you. So off we went and, uh, and, and I never gave up and she never gave up on me. And, and that's what this show is about. It's about a couple who believe in each other. And she said, no, you, you, you have to do this. And, and, you know, the show, so we're, we're in episode, you know, we, I think episode six aired last night, you know, the first season is always challenging because you're trying to find the characters. The cast is trying to find the characters. It finishes incredibly, I think, incredibly strong episode 11. The finale is, is really good. And it stars Pete Holmes, who's a very funny guy, Katie Lowe's, who was on Scandal, Shy McBride from Hawaii Five O, and and tons of others. John Larroquette. I mean, he goes all the way back to Larroquette. I remember him on that show. But uh, Julie White, who's a, a, an amazing, insanely talented woman, and she's on Broadway right now doing a, a show. In fact, um, but it's just, it's a great cast, and and it's very. I leaned into the humanity on this one, Ryan. I I was like, lean into the heart. And so that's what I did. And it's, it's, it's about a blue collar family rolling the dice for a better life. And, and the guy happens to be a bowler. And I, I, I think anybody who, you know, uh, has, has dreamt of, of following their dream uh, can, can relate to this and will end up rooting for them. So, yeah, it's all, I really love the relationship between the husband and the wife in the show. So that's oh, interesting. That was based on a, little, a lot of your personal experience. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. The whole speech about her saying, you know, in the pilot, he's saying, I'm, I, there's a, two monologues. On the pilot, he says, you know, I, I got mad. Like his mother offers him this job, you know, or says, hey, I can get you this job at this factory. And so he kind of has to take it now. So he can't follow his dreams. So he's talking to his wife and he goes, you know what? And this, I, it's like, I don't have to be, I'm a dad and I'm a father. I don't have to be anything more than that. And then, uh, the the you know two scenes later his wife says you know katie says to 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 uh to pete you know you you do have to and you know we're we're you know you you have to you have a son who's looking to you and that's the way that i i look at it for my daughter when my daughter was born i stopped doing stand-up and i started writing for television and i was like i have to succeed mm-hmm. i have to succeed i have no other choice this show has to stay on the air and it, again, it all goes back to wrestling. I, I have to win. That is it. I have to, you know, and, and I thank God for that, for that, that passion and that, that drive and that, that belief, man. You know, I, I don't know that I would, would have that I a hundred percent would not have my, my work ethic and my attitude were it not for, for, you know, coach Pierce and coach Tony and Joe Carr and coach Tobin, all those guys that said, you got to believe man. And so 
uh, anyway, so hopefully some of that comes across. And like I said, the, the series finish is really strong and I encourage everybody to watch it's on CBS on, uh, on Thursday nights. And, uh, and I, I thank you for, for having me on and, and giving me a little plug here. Oh, it's so fun to have you on. I really appreciate the conversation and, I just love all the stories you told about your, your grandfather getting the TV and just the road two years. I mean, man, so many, uh, so many takeaways for me. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor to have you on Mark. Thanks Ryan. I love the show and I, 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 I will continue to listen always. So thank you for doing what you do. Man. It's really thank you. very inspiring. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate right. it. Thank you for listening to wrestling changed my life. This episode was brought to you by athletic greens Athletic Greens is a food supplement that you take a scoop of it, add it to a glass of water, mix it up, and with that, you have your daily supply of minerals, vitamins, your superfoods covered. So it saves me the hassle of taking a bunch of vitamins, and it tastes delicious. And now that they're a sponsor of this podcast, you can get a one-year supply of vitamin D drops along with five free travel packs if you go to athleticgreens.com WCML. That's athleticgreens.com slash WCML. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Wrestling Changed My Life.